Greetings and welcome to the Mount Rushmore podcast. My name is Jeff and I'm joined as I always am is my fate to live in eternal quandary and quabble and quibble with uh, Richard. What? And Michael. Uh, howdy. <laughs> Richard and Michael. They like to discuss, debate, and deliberate the top four of any given topic. And this week is no different as they discuss the Mount Rushmore of unusual album covers. But wait a minute. You guys aren't debating each other, are you? Uh, no, not this week. Who are you debating? Uh, we're debating an actual expert in this. Oh, cool. Expert, are you on the line? <laughs> uh I'm the only one on the line, if that helps anything. Uh, I don't know I don't know where the expert went, but I'm here. Well, then tell us your, your qualifications and give us your name. Yes. Uh, my name is Jim Hankey. Uh, I'm the host of a podcast called Vinyl Emergency, which uh, people can listen to however they listen to the uh, Mount Rushmore podcast. Um, and it is a... Through Victrola. <laughs> <laughs> we found the other podcast through Victrola. Exactly. It exactly. is an interview show, you were uh, saying. Right, yeah, it is a interview-based uh, show with um, musicians. I'd say primarily musicians, but also uh, record collectors, um, friends of mine, people within the music slash vinyl industry. Uh, but it also extends to um, we've had comedians on, other podcast hosts, that sort of thing. And the the main deal is that we talk about our connections through the years to vinyl, um, whether that is only in the past or currently, if they're a big record collector or love the fact that there's this resurgence lately um that's what the show is about so it, it, at times sometimes we get into you know nitty-gritty stuff about certain pressings or how to clean how to best clean records or, or that sort of stuff but primarily it's more about the memories that people are recalling kind of in real time when you bring up you know what was your favorite album cover growing up or, or where did you go shop for records as a kid or that sort of thing. So um, that's been going on since January of uh, 2016. So we just entered our, our second uh, full year of the show. Hey, that's great. Um, I'm looking at some of your most, I guess, recent past episodes. Uh, episode 77, Justin Perkins of Mystery Room Mastering and Bash and Pop. What'd you talk to Justin about? Uh, so Justin, as it says, is a mastering engineer uh, in his own right. Uh, we talk quite a bit about um, mastering music for vinyl, which is a little bit of a different process than mastering it technically for CD or iTunes now. Um, and uh, Bash and Pop, the project that he is in, uh, he plays bass, um, backing up Tommy Stinson from The Replacements. Oh, wow. Um, that's, uh, so Bash and Pop came out with a, uh, an album in 1993 and then went away for about 25 years <laughs> and then came back last year uh, with a full length. And, and Tommy, for people might know, he played in uh, you know the touring Production isn't the right word, but the touring, you know, touring version. Uh, as it stands of, of Guns N' Roses for a little bit as well. Um, so Justin um, is, is great. It was neat to sit down in his studio and talk about, um, you know, things, very, some very real things like ear fatigue. You know, somebody who records bands and masters records, I can't imagine sitting there listening to the same stuff, being in bands myself um, for many years you know, hearing that constantly, uh, you know, the same notes over and over and over. Um, so talking about how he takes a break to actually listen to vinyl uh, and stuff like that versus, you know, editing digital files. Uh, and also, like, like I said before, just his normal experiences growing up, um, you know, listening to, to records that his dad had and uh, what it means to be able to put out music on vinyl currently. Um but yeah, I've, I've been lucky enough to have uh, Roseanne Cash on the show, uh, Ben Montench from Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, um, Ted Leo, Matthew Sweet. Um, oh shit, I think I heard really, that it's one. It's really crazy. That's my favorite. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. 
I, uh, That's I, awesome. I saw that you had uh, Olivia Cheney from Ofer Rex. That was a, a great album this last year. Really unexpected. Yeah, really, really unexpected. And 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 she was was super fun because she admitted, you know, even before we started recording, that you know, I, I unfortunately don't have a lot of um, connection to vinyl, uh, you know, over the years. You know, I, I'm she's younger than me. She was very much a CD and digital uh, kid, but. Um, it doesn't matter because I get that from a lot of guests that, that they say, well, I don't know if I have a lot to talk about about vinyl. I'm not a record collector or something like that. But we all have memories of that stuff growing up. If you're in a certain age group, you'll, you have memories associated with your parents' uh, small record collection or in your small town, um, you know, where you would go to get records, whether that was the library or the mall or something like that. Um, and she does have a connection to vinyl now. She listens to it with her boyfriend quite often. They really enjoy it. Her records all come out on vinyl. It's very important to her that they do. Um, so that those are the kinds of connections, too, where if it's not some big, long 60-year history with vinyl, it can also be just the the essence of, of loving that the medium exists. When uh, uh, last season we had an episode called the Mount Rushmore of uh, the four albums you listened to as a kid, and no frontin'. No frontin'. No frontin'. And a lot of the memory <laughs> came back, at least for me, of uh, – Albums that I remember the cover of so distinctly, like the cover of uh, yeah. Musical Youth um, uh, with the Pass the Ducci. Uh, uh, like right. it's, it's so ingrained in my head, just that image of like the guitar chords sticking out of the uh, trash can. Uh, that like, yeah. I have a memory of maybe that song and no other songs, but that the cover is what is like mm-hmm. burned in, into indelible, my psyche. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right, right. And, and that's kind of the thing with the show, I feel, is that I, there's no slag on, on digital on the show. I mean, I enjoy music through digital means, certainly. Uh, it's how I discover a lot of music, and um, sometimes I often uh, play stuff digitally to find out if I do want to spend $20, $25, $30 on vinyl to get it. Um, that's, that's, that's not a big deal. I do think artist rights, though, are... Uh, incredibly questionable uh, with some of these uh, services where, you know, they haven't found out a perfect method yet. Uh, we, we kind of, the technology kind of advanced before we could all find out uh, a good way for everybody to benefit from it. Um, but, you know, to what you're talking about, um, art and covers and, and what we'll get into today, um, that's all a big part of the show as well in, in a time where um, liner notes are, are all but gone from digital streaming services um you know artwork continues to get smaller and smaller and smaller um and it's it's neat the actual like flesh and blood memories that come back when looking at a cover or holding it or flipping through liner notes um that stuff that it's one of the main reasons people say that they got back into vinyl or never left it um so i think that's a really a really big part of that and everybody's got a different story somebody might tell you just like five guests before that the white album really changed their life, but they're going to tell it to you in a different way. Um, and, and even if they did, you know, kind of tell the same story, we can, they've had a different career so we can go many, many different, you know, roads. Uh, so it's not always the same conversation about, Oh, I grew up on the Beatles and the Rolling Stones. Like it's, it, that's why I kind of try to talk to people of, of many different age groups and genres. Wait, uh, so we don't immediately lose viewers to your much more interesting podcast. Uh, Jim, if you're ready, I would love to jump into our podcast, unless Michael wants to say any reason why. I think we've established why it was a compelling oh, yeah. suggestion. So, and, 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 and for the record, I think this is going to... For the record. For the record. Um, pardon the pun. Um, there is, I think this is going to be slightly album covers, but also album designs. 
of the actual sure. album, physical sure. album itself. I've sure. got one that kind of plays oh, into okay. that. Okay. But, you know, it's a little more of a free will. It's the free willing, free wheeling Mount okay. Rushmore podcast hey, Richard, today. He's, uh, Jeff's the judge. He knows, what to, <laughs> he knows what he's doing. He does? And as the judge, I'd like to say for those of you who came to this uh, podcast looking for vinyl clothing and fetish wear, hang out for a while. See if you like this uh, <laughs> podcast that we're about to do. You may not, but don't hold it against us. Okay. So uh, these gentlemen have the uh, home field advantage. So they are going to yield the field to our visitor, who is Jim Hankey. That's who you're listening to on the other end here of At Vinyl Emergency on Twitter. So, Jim, go ahead and pick your first of your four Mount Rushmore of Unusual Album covers. One, wonderful. And this does not have to be, I just want to clarify on your on, on the way this is going, this does not have to be from, like, first to fourth. This is just kind of be which one I want to start out with. Correct. Hey, nobody, um, nobody's, okay. nobody's saying Washington's better than Lincoln. <laughs> okay. Right. What, they're that's all, right. right. They're that's all a, just on there. That's right. That's a very, that's a very good point. Well, let, let's, let's talk about um, one that actually, I, I included this because... Um, in, in the email chain with you guys, uh, it was clear that it didn't need to be 45s necessarily or LPs or whatever. It could really be anything within music, um, whether that would be a CD or maybe something else. Um, I'm, I'm putting this out there, and I don't know how familiar you guys are with it, but uh, I even learned a little bit about it. Um, did the vinyl guy more... just talk, start talking about CDs? Uh-oh. I did. Okay. I did. <laughs> okay. going, going back to digital. No, um, like th- this is really... Yeah, like a single. Oh, I had plenty of those back in the day, trust me. Um, so the the first one I'm going to bring up is from the Flaming Lips. Um, crazy, uh, you know, uh, how can you say? I mean, this band kind of goes above and beyond, uh, you know, touring-wise. Um, anything they package up is really usually pretty intricate and, and crazy. And this one, uh, you know, I would put on Mount Rushmore uh, for, for packaging. It's the Gummy Song Skull. EP. This came out in 2011. Uh, it is a limited release of a USB drive, which was placed inside of a brain-shaped gummy, which then was encased in a much larger, probably toddler size gummy skull. Wow. Okay, <laughs> size so, of a toddler. Size a toddler would consume. You no, know, the, the size of a toddler's skull. Oh God. Like yeah. So I mean, it's it's pretty. It's 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 a large thing. Um, and, you know, this is a band that has gone, you know, they've put their own blood into releases. They've, you know, done some crazy stuff over the years. And, and some people would say as as that stuff kind of increases, their their musical output kind of decreases, which, you know, that, that could be an argument, certainly. But uh, this Gummy Skull thing, if people look it up, it's, it's really quite crazy. It comes in this, you know, square box. Uh, you open it up. I guess the... Um, the the first skull the skull that you got to cut through is like it's seven pounds first of all this is a seven pound what? gummy skull limited fully edible and everything um, with a two gig USB drive stuck inside um, a brain that's in the gummy skull that's made of, of it's like cherry you know the same thing it's made of it's like a cherry thing so you eat the you can cut open or eat the pineapple to get to the cherry. Um, these are supposedly limited to 500 skulls a piece. You know, and we talk about sometimes on the show about how limited a release is, you know, if it mm-hmm. was limited to 1,000 or 250. So for me to even say limited to 500 skulls sounds very weird. Yeah. Right. Um, but um, so it was self-released by the band. Um, not really Warner Brothers name is on it, but it's not necessarily, you know, official Warner Brothers release. Um, but it was distributed to only a certain amount of uh, select record stores. And uh, it is a, as I said, a seven-pound gummy skull with a 
USB port inside or USB drive inside this wow. um, brain. Um, That's ridiculous. Now, I, yeah, now I have I've never seen one of these in, in person. I've watched YouTube videos of it being like cut open so people could get to the drive, and it really does look like a process. It's not very easy, um, but it is um, quite shocking. I mean, this is for for digital music. I would say this has got to be one of, if not the um, craziest ways to present it um, that that I've ever seen. Um, because you know we don't normally buy music on on memory stick. You know, that was, it's weird to think about going to a show and buying. Oh yeah, I got this like thumb drive from this band. Uh, and it's got, you know, how many ever songs on it. This has only got four songs, so it's not even like it was like the entire Flaming Lips discography or anything. It was a, you know, a four-song thumb drive. Um, but the rarity of it, the weirdness of it, um, the the presentation where basically you could eat the packaging, um, <laughs> yeah, right. you know, which yeah. which I guess technically you could do with anything, really. <laughs> it's all paper in general, but but this, this is... Seem- uh, do, do not try to eat the metal box by uh, PIL, by the way. That <laughs> will right. give you a bad stomach. It seems to be something less than a sales stunt. In the past, why these albums have been decorated. Right. Or, 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 or even, it, even it just seems like almost like an anti-sales stunt. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't just... Yeah. A, if, if, I'm, if I'm remembering a little research on this correctly they also did a gummy fetus i believe yes. that's correct that's and right they also did a gummy skull that was marijuana um oh, flavored <laughs> um so i mean these aren't things that you do when you're trying to sell records again this is a band that put out yeah. four cds at the same time that were meant to be played on four separate like a stereo systems in order for right. you to actually hear the album correctly. For uh, for anybody who's curious too about the worth of something like this, so originally they retailed for one forty nine ninety nine. Uh, this gigantic, you know, skull that you maybe either were just going to have on a shelf or or maybe if you did crack it open, um, you know, you experienced it. Um, on Discogs right now, I mean, the highest that it's ever sold for is two hundred fifty bucks. So it's not rare enough where this thing is like in the thousands or anything like that, but. Um, it's it's uh, you yeah. know the lowest I think it's ever sold for is one fifteen, wow. you know. So it's it's one of those things where if you find it, okay, great. But I don't know if it's going to be, you know, completely uh, collecting value. Or on you really your shelf. need to get like a Homer Simpson out there eating a few of these things to really drive up the value. <laughs> yes, correct. Or or will correct. it even be edible by this yeah. point? Or will you? Yeah, is it like well, that's the, the top spa- yeah. like top bubble gum <laughs> after like twenty years, and you eat it. Yeah, and bite you into die. this skull, and it's just shards of glass. Uh, yeah. Well, when these four songs are the only uh, things that are, remain after civilization falls, and aliens find us again, and they just, just decide that oh, all of our music was preserved inside these <laughs> these rock hard right. gummy heads yeah. inside these right. little USB drives, we'll. We'll know what's happening. Well, I'm excited for the band to put a USB drive inside a Twinkie. Then we can finally <laughs> figure it out. Yes. Okay. Or gentlemen. I would say, or I would say, the aliens would be us. Uh, like the aliens would think that like uh, we were all just made of gummy, and that yes. like music was in our heads the entire time. They wouldn't they be find a bunch of skulls. Would they be wrong necessarily? To think that? <laughs> we are no, all not really. No, no not, not really. You're right. All right, <laughs> all right guys. Uh, Jim just came out swinging with a very um, amazing choice. And uh, bat- batting first for the home team here is going to be Richard. Richard, what do you got? All right. So my first one, and when we were kind of discussing what we could do on the show, this is the one, one of the two that I originally immediately went to, and they're both Warhol ones. Um, this one is the Sticky Fingers um, album cover for the Rolling Stones. 
And, you know, the reason I chose this is because I think those, those Warhol album covers are incredibly iconic, you know, in the way that they used physical media to sort of go, go beyond just what you would do with an album cover in terms of painting or even, you know, even, you know, there may be some 3d album art, I think by that point, Mm -hmm. but this was kind of, it was the Warhol playfulness along with sort of moving parts. Yeah. Which I don't know was something you really had a lot previously. Mm. Um, So the, it's fairly iconic. If you haven't seen the original pressing of it, the original pressings, at least um, the, it's basically a close-up of a person's trousers, um, not Mick Jagger's. We actually don't know whose uh, trousers they are. It's a mystery. Oh, so mystery pants, huh? They are mystery pants. <laughs> um, and there's an actual metal zipper on it. And when you unzip it, you can see a person's briefs and whatever he's packing under those briefs. And one of the interesting things, this is an example, I think, of a of an album cover design that was great in principle, but they wasn't really thought out a hundred percent and it very nearly became a, a, a spinal tap sort of thing. <laughs> um, because when they first, uh, when they first released it to retailers, there were a lot of complaints because that it was actually damaging the albums uh-huh. by having this on there. Um, mm-hmm. Cause where the zipper was kind of popping up, when it was being packaged, it was being sent to the record stores just flat one on top of the other. Mm-hmm. And so the zipper was actually pressing into the grooves of Sister Morphine. Uh, so you would like, all of a sudden Sister Morphine would start skipping really badly because uh, it just had been pressed in. Mm-hmm. So they actually had to go in and tell at the, where they were manufacturing them, oh, whenever the glue is dried on that, just make sure, could you just pull the zipper down a little bit, like halfway? <laughs> that way it actually went into the, the center uh, of the record instead of one of the tracks. Mm-hmm. And it turned out that's actually a little bit of a better way to uh, market it as well because you get just that little bit of the briefs. Yeah. Oh, that's that's interesting. So it was all zipped up. It was all zipped up at first and they kind of just let that let it, let it go just a little yeah. bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it also that was the album where the uh, Rolling Stones uh, Lips Is that right? logo yeah. was debuted. Yeah. Um, so the, the Stones were a band that was, you know, especially in the 70s, I think, a band that was very... Even going in the late 60s, like their Satanic Majesties has that trippy 3D yeah. kind of old 80s baseball card yeah, motion thing. Exactly. Uh-huh. Um, so they I, they were a band that, another band that was very visual in yeah. their presentation. They understood the power of iconography. Right. And you could see that in their tours and you could see that the way they were presented on stage. Mm-hmm. And I think that also played out uh, w- w- with the way that they treated their albums i mean jagger was very insistent that they use warhol for this album they were, were kicking around other ideas and he kind of put his foot down oh this is i like this design i want this yeah and the guys at hypnosis who are this you know 70s 80s they designed a ton of these iconic very unusual album covers they were the ones who were kind of stuck trying to figure out okay how do i actually uh, make this vision work right andy Hall, warhol and mick jagger want a zipper that you know pulls down. Yeah. How do you actually do that in manufacturing? So sometimes I think with these, with these albums, we think a lot about the about the, the band themselves mm-hmm. and not about the fact there's somebody, some poor schlub yeah. who actually has to make yeah. their vision come to life. I think of uh, was did Sticky Fingers come after Sergeant Pepper, and do you think they yes. might have felt challenged by the incredibly. Um, florid album cover that Sergeant Pepper 
you could lose yourself for a day in in the cover of Sgt. Pepper. I think that their Satanic Majesties um, album is the one, and I'd have to sit down yeah. and do like the. I, I don't remember off the top of my head which one came first. That feels like the answer to that. That feels like yeah. it's either the answer or that they played off of each other. Mm-hmm. The Sticky Fingers is kind of when they're getting into their like yeah. early to mid seventies sort of you know okay. dirty New Orleans yeah. style blues thing. So that's that was sort of I think opening up that period of them being almost kind of a grungier type band, not uh-huh. in the, not in the musical style sense, but just in their uh. kind of look and feel. Hmm. So I should check what I said earlier because bands like the Rolling Stones were some of the few that had the selling power enough to actually demand some kind of uh, um, high impact, unusual approach on an album cover. If you were just this regular kind of medium selling band, you couldn't say, I'm going to have a zipper. I'm going to have Andy Warhol design it. You just get what you got. Oh, right? sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's there's a... There's a picture of four of you standing, looking three yeah. different directions, yeah. <laughs> you know, 15 feet apart. And then, yeah. There you go. Yeah. That's that's one of the... That's on the Mount Rushmore of album cover. Back cover. That's more of a back cover. Thing, back wouldn't cover you agree? Thing. Or the, inside the fold. But yeah, I mean, that's sort of the height of the 1970s rock star excess. Mm-hmm. I think the way the labels treated rock stars in that era that if, Hey, if Mick Jagger wants a Andy Warhol to put together this thing, that's going to be, you know, triple the cost of how much it costs to get produced. And we have to go do this thing to make sure it's not ruining the records. Yeah. Well, I guess we'll do it. And there's no way even, you know, there's no way you could get away with that today. I think also the, in the food chain, it is currently, I believe now, but there was a time when, uh, an athlete or, an actor may have wanted to be a rock star. A rock star may have wanted to be at an actor or performer, but all of them were kind of out mystiqued by Andy Warhol. Like Andy Warhol was a rock star artist who had right. this um, kind of sphinx-like demeanor that even I think um, a guy like Mick Jagger tried to copy. Never smiling, never kind of you know saying too much, and you know, like Bowie definitely had that. Or, or obviously Vel- Velvet Underground. Yeah, the Velvet yeah. Underground. So. So cool. So, uh, Jim, go ahead and give us your second. All right. Uh, number two, um, this this was on CD. This was on CD and vinyl. Um, uh, this band definitely uh, ch- uh, championed vinyl for a very early part of their career. So I think a lot of people uh, could pick different albums from this band and maybe put put it on their own separate Rush, uh, Mount Rushmore. But um, I'm going to go with Vitology from Pearl Jam. Also on, on our one. list. Ah. Oh, wonderful. Okay, so, um, you know, uh, kind of what you guys were just talking about with the Rolling Stones. Think about, uh, you know, 1971, Sticky Fingers comes out, and, you know, the Stones are obviously one of the biggest bands of the world. Um, I was just thinking as you guys were talking, like, think about the, the R&D, the research and development that would have to go into putting a zipper on an album cover and then doing that with how many ever covers uh, they had to do times... The amount of years that have now taken place since that release of that record and how many reissues and yada, 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 it's just insane. Um, I can't think of uh, uh, a band uh, in the 90s that was as uh, creatively um, kind of omnipotent as, as Pearl Jam was, as it, not necessarily in their music. I'm, I'm a diehard Pearl Jam fan, but their their art was always a little bit more intriguing i think than um 
than maybe what people found in their music. Um, I so think, I think something interesting ahead. about them is that they kind of got out of like the grunge sphere pretty quickly. Like I know that they were yeah. lumped in with Nirvana and even though the music is so wildly different and same thing with like Alice in Chains and Soundgarden, like they, I don't know if it was like consciously, but they definitely were like in that sphere. But I think that they were always kind of thinking outside of it in a, a weird way and whether that had to do with like their big ticket master thing i think that they were always kind of a little more conscious of their role yeah no i agree and i i think i think you know bands like nirvana and stuff were influenced by a lot of punk um and, and but also uh you know like i'd say sonic youth and you know some of these like a little bit more art driven bands whereas i think pearl jam it's not people might disagree, but I think Pearl Jam always kind of wanted to be Fugazi as if, but if like Neil Young wrote Fugazi songs, right, is basically like how like how they wanted to be, and even in like mid era Pearl Jam, you start to get like, you know, Eddie when you, when it's a Eddie solo, you know, uh, when he wrote the song itself, like a song like Comatose or some of these other ones that aren't very well loved, you can tell like a major major Fugazi minor threat influence there but yet like clearly you know for as early as that band was befriended by neil young um they wanted to be you know that that made them different from nirvana alone i mean they just wanted they there was a little bit more of a heartland kind of thing to pearl jam always but um by the way i think think it's interesting that you mentioned that i was re-listening to uh some mike watt the uh yeah and right his uh ball hogger tugboat album and Such a great record. It's yeah. a great record. And basically the conceit of the album is that it's him playing bass and then they bring in for every song basically a different set of drummers, singers, mm. guitarists, etc. And yeah. the song that Eddie Vedder sang was a song called Against the 70s, which is essentially yeah. about don't buy into like false uh, kind of retro, uh, you know, that if, if, if pop culture is trying to push you to kind of think that retro is the way you have to go don't do that you need to be able to make your own way he was he was yeah. the luke skywalker in the last jedi of <laughs> rock songs telling you don't believe in the past that's, yeah his eyes got really, right eyes got really red he tried to take off uh chris cornell's head with a sword <laughs> but I, I hearing you say that i find that interesting because they were a band and i think also to michael's point they're a band that definitely had one foot in almost like the classic rock world in a lot of ways, you mentioned Neil Young. I mean, they made an album with Neil Young. Right. And certainly had an indebtedness to these bands that came before them. And I think when we're talking about the packaging of this album, there's certainly, it harkens back to that. But they're also a band that had a foot in the present or even future, which is where I know Michael and I were talking about the CD release of this and the vinyl release and how that kind of almost was a bridge between these two generations. Well, it was, it's, yeah. it was kind of like what, you guys were talking about earlier with kind of giving into a rock star's demands of sorts because they put out, you know, a 30-something page booklet that was included with the CD. And I think they had like a poster. They had a, a kind of a bigger, weirder booklet sort of thing with the vinyl edition. And it cost the band $2 million out of their own money to have this printed like they kind of made a a deal with the publisher and was like okay you guys cover half and we'll cover half and we'll do this a lot more extravagant thing and it it was interesting to see that a band would eat the own cost of 
kind of putting out their vision versus passing on, you know, an extra dollar or whatever it was going to cost to to the consumer. Right. And it seemed to kind yeah. of fall into like their kind of mindfulness in terms of like, oh, we're 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 making music and we're not going to charge anybody more for our extravagance. Right. I mean, this is a band who, I mean, clearly they were one of, if not the most popular band in the world when, you know, Vitology comes out. Um, but you never had a mainstream band do something like this, where you're literally looking at these, you know, it wasn't a 30 page booklet of pictures of the band. It wasn't a 30 page booklet about how each song was written and stuff. It was a 30 page booklet that mirrored this, you know, weird uh, healthcare you know, manual purchased or uh, published, you know, right before the turn of the century, basically, um, you know, Eddie found it and wanted to base an album um, on that. And and for people who don't know, um, if you have Pearl Jam albums and you look in the liner notes and the, um, the art direction or the cover or photography or anything like that uh, lists Jerome Turner, um, that's Eddie Vedder. Um, no one really knows. I, I personally don't know why uh he has an alias for some of this stuff but that's uh that's a a neat little factoid uh on pearl jam stuff but yeah nobody was doing something like this even you know nirvana where in utero was kind of this like crazy picture of a you know um a health uh study you know and you know an anatomy kind of like angel thing and and there is you know crazy artwork out there but pearl jam on their level kind of like what we were just talking about with the stones on their level to invest money of their own to get this made to to see eddie's vision because at the time uh you know the band wasn't really seeing eye to eye so i think they kind of shrugged both the music and the art for this record whereas eddie kind of like lived and breathed it um it's a remarkable thing to uh, to look at it now when you compare to you know what other records were in the top ten at this point and go like wow this is like some extraneous uh, really involved but really interesting art and and yeah it does translate to to vinyl pretty well one of my biggest scores I have no idea why but I was driving by a couple of years ago driving by a uh, garage sale and I literally just saw a vinyl copy of Vitology. Just one, no record, no like stacks of records, just a copy of Vitology on vinyl in this, this yard sale. So I pulled over. And it's an original copy of Vitology for seventy five cents, um, because they didn't they didn't know, you know, what they had or you know whatever. And it was pretty beat up. I mean, it certainly wasn't like mint or you know I wouldn't you know I still got it. I wasn't going to go try to make money off it or anything. I, I have the vinyl reissue that came out a couple of years ago and the original. Um, so, you know, Pearl Jam being one of my favorite bands, I want to keep both of those things. But, um, you know, that's just a story where it's like they didn't know what they had. They clearly somebody had moved out and they were like, I don't know what to do with this. Does anybody play records anymore? That sort of thing. The uh, um, the, the yard sale mentality is really interesting because throughout like the last couple of weeks when we've been kicking around ideas for what we wanted to talk about, uh, I kept thinking of kind of my roots in comic books. And, like, the 1990s were just, like, chock-a-block full of variant edition comic books or special edition embossed or hologram covers. All these Mm -hmm. different things that, like, a band or a a company would do to try to get you to buy, like, Wolverine. It's like everyone's already buying Wolverine number 100 or Wolverine 25 or whatever. Like, you don't need to do all these extra things. But somehow they, like, mark a special occasion. And it's so Mm -hmm. funny to think of, like, that time that you go to a 
I mean, back in my day, I remember going to like, you know, yard sales and just looking to see if like, oh, do they have anything old that I can yeah. not take advantage of them, but like take this thing off of that you don't yeah. care about that I obviously do. And so like right. having having you go out there and find something that you do care about and seeing mm-hmm. it and being like, oh, this is 75 cents. Cool. Wasn't, wasn't, yeah. this, wasn't this one where the CD like packaging itself was like bigger or you can only get it like in the big like tall box right oh and yeah right no, the, the, the vitalogy was for whatever reason it was slightly bigger on one end than the other and yeah. so it wouldn't display like lengthwise it wouldn't like display on like your shelf if you put it in you'd have to put it in sideways so you could only see it it was uh, so strange and yeah so, like yeah you you could only see the pages right you're right. Odd. This feels like yeah. if, if someone wanted to pull like a Wayne coin but didn't quite know how to do it, they would do stuff like, well, let's just make one side a little bit taller than the other. That'll be art, won't it? Yeah. High five. Yeah, right. Or like, you right. know, I think it I think one of the liner notes, I think for Corduroy, it just instead of like song lyrics or anything, it just has a X ray of Eddie Vedder's teeth. <laughs> yeah. That that feels right. again uh, like something that's sort of like you're really stoned and you think this seems like a really <laughs> great art yeah. project it's thing so to do. It's so close to a spinal tap. None more black. Kind of. Right. <laughs> right. 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 So guys, uh, we are now at our halftime. And before we jump in and talk to you about uh, how much we'd like you to uh, download, rate, and review and promote our own podcast, we're going to promote a fellow podcast. And here it goes. Podcast 42 promo. Take one. Do things pop into your head randomly? Yes. Mm -hmm. Do you want to learn about stuff that uh, happened in history, like, but nothing that's important in history? Yes. Do you want to have everybody laugh at everything you say? No. Well, Well, then become a comedian. (laughs) (laughs) Podcast. 42 promo take two have you ever wanted a podcast to tell you it loves you no <laughs> nor have we bought podcast 42 podcast 42 promo take three don't be sad be glad we're here at podcast 42 to entertain you <laughs> it'll be the brightest hour of your week we might make you cry laugh maybe both at the same time but we won't make you poop your pants Podcast 42 promo. Take four. Oh, why don't you guys just give it up already? And you can find us on all the stuff that you find other podcasts on. All of it. Also find us in our podcast group, the official Podcast 42 group on Facebook. And you can find us on the web at podcast42show.wordpress.com. Come listen to us. We're Podcast 42. Podcast 42 show. You know the email address. You came you up, came with, up the email with the email address. address. <laughs> We are podcast42show at gmail.com. And you couldn't remember that. And now we're back. And we would like to encourage you to download, rate, and review the Mount Rushmore podcast. But uh, before that, we're going to give you something free. We're going to give you a free trial with our friends at Audible. For the listeners of Mount Rushmore Podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. You might want to try The Rolling Stones' Exile on Main Street, one of the 33 and a third series that I love so much. That is by Bill Janovitz and oh, Robert Fass. Uh, Jeff, I still have a 33 and a third oh, that's uh, right. in my car. I don't remember who it's... That's right. The Colin Malloy December is talking That's right. About I, I have that. It's still in my glove department. Yeah. And, you, know, you can ignore that it's like really sun-faded from when it was in the back of my uh, 2001 uh, Honda Civic. My gift to you. <laughs> my gift to you. And maybe Felix will chew on it. With this Audible trial, you can get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash Rushmore. 
with over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash Rushmore. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash Rushmore. And guys, come on, go to iTunes, download, rate, and review uh, all the Mount Rushmore podcast episodes. But more importantly, join us, be part of the community, as Jim Henke is now part of the community, by going to our Facebook page and uh, suggesting future episode subjects by commenting on the episodes that we've created. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Mount Rushmore Podcast. We love when you guys comment and tell us... um how we're wrong about a certain topic, and then I love deleting those comments. Yeah. <laughs> and, of course, uh, one really cool destination for you out on the interwebs is vinylemergency.com. Uh, you can go over there and see the list of all the different uh, episodes that have uh, taken place and the amazing participants in this podcast. Uh, Roseanne Cash, Dave Porter, uh, Ben Montench, Brian Stack, uh, improviser uh, from Second City, also on Late Show with Stephen Colbert and Conan. Ted Leo, Without Pharmacists, uh, Matthew Sweet, Jimmy Pardo, all kinds of great people talking to this really mensch of a dude, uh, Jim Hankey, about vital. <laughs> hey everyone, my name is Jim Hankey and I'm the host of Vinyl Emergency a podcast where musicians, producers, comedians, and those who dream up, press, release, or collect vinyl records discuss their relationship with the medium today as well as in their formative youth. Artwork that has stood the test of time, neighborhood record stores we remember, the first albums we ever bought, vinyl's warmth and sound, the tangible object of a vinyl record can bring forth so many intangible memories, and that's what we try to capture on the show. Guests have included Roseanne Cash, Ben Montench of Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, Brian Stack from Conan and The Late Show with Stephen Colbert, Ted Leo, Lily Hyatt, and Dave Porter of Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. We've been known to do an episode or two in front of a live audience as well, and we also talk to everyday record collectors about what drives their passion. We even have episodes dedicated to the processes of mastering for vinyl, properly cleaning your records, the feeling of standing in line for hours on Record Store Day, and much more. Tune into Vinyl Emergency however you get your podcasts. Visit us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Vinyl Emergency, or stop by our website, VinylEmergency.com. All right, Richard. All right, Michael. Who's going to take on Jim? Because he's totally, right now, he's kicking your butt. Oh, yeah, no doubt. Yeah. Well, we both had the same one on the last one, but I'll, I'll start off. Uh, our next pick is 1979's In Through the Outdoor by Led Zeppelin. And uh, the packaging for this album, uh, it had like so. It had a bunch of different pieces. The first part was it was encased in kind of like this brown paper bag, as if it looked kind of like a bootleg, mm-hmm. and it just had like this uh, like a stamp on it. it. Just you know, you, you didn't really yeah. know what it was when you walked out of yeah. the uh, when you walked out of the album shop. The album shop, the record store. <laughs> what, what are you? What are you? Albums, <laughs> get your albums here. Uh, <laughs> what do you want, kid? I'll slice you up a fresh slice of vinyl. A fresh slice of album, please. One Maybe album. you're making movies by a dire straits. How would you like it, kid? The second part uh, of the album was that it had a, like a black and white image on the inside. And that, Michael, Michael Jackson from Smooth Criminal. That's right. <laughs> and uh, there was anything special about that until you got it wet, and then it became colorized. It had like this kind of... Uh, kind of weird colorization like from like an old children's book that would kind of permanently 
would recolor it. Recolor it, which is like... Insane. It's insane. Well, would you be like walking out in the rain and then it happened? Would you accidentally spill something and then it happened? And like, it's, it's amazing to think that they were uh, so interested in like the transformation process yeah. and like the tactileness of, mm-hmm. of like having an album of just like, oh, you got to, you got to transform it. You got to do something to it other than just take it out and put it on the uh, turntable. And the idea that for me, it's the idea, like you said, that somehow you have to figure this out. Yeah. So either you somehow accidentally get your album wet, which I'm pretty sure is bad. Yeah. To do As that. we learned from Gremlins, right? <laughs> right. Your your album will start <laughs> multiplying. Um, yeah. It turns into don't get don't get don't get Led Zeppelin wet after midnight. I guess is the, do not feed them after the midnight. Thing. I can definitely tell you that. So either you accidentally got it wet, and that's a problem, or like I guess somebody else had to tell somebody else. Like one person figured it out, and then this is I, I guess this is the difference between now and you know, the 1970s, you know, now it would, it would just be within like an hour of it being released. It would be, everyone would be talking about it mm-hmm. on Twitter and it would just be sort of this, hey, cool thing, boom, done. You know, they probably even mention it like in the press release yeah. for it. Here, you know, I, you know, I'm sure eventually stories were written about it and you had to kind of figure it out there. But there had to be this sort of like word of mouth about it. Where right. Like, you, some guy was the first guy in your high school who figured this out, and he was like the badass for the rest of the month because he was he the guy that it. cried all the time. <laughs> oh yeah, they just beat him up anyway, even though he figured it out. And that's no, that's what, how, yeah, that's how the, yeah. the tears are what made it happen. I get it. Um, do you think hypnosis actually says here's something you could do? Here's something you can waste a million dollars on. Yeah, I'm not sure about that. I mean, hypnosis. I, I, I incorrectly said hypnosis did. The first album I talked about, they did not, but they did do this one. Uh-huh. And they did a lot of those like Pink Floyd, Led Zeppelin-y type, like okay. 70s and 80s, sort of a lot of prog rock and kind of big classic rock type stuff. Mm-hmm. I wonder if they did or didn't. I know they would often pitch bands with certain ideas. I may have told this story on the show once, but the band XTC um, mm-hmm. for their album Go To, they went to go visit Hypnosis and they had a bunch of these off-the-wall weird things they were throwing at them, and they didn't like it, and it was a very uncomfortable meeting. They're kind of getting ready to leave, sort of like trying to figure out how do we extract ourselves politely from this without having to use any of these. And they see a uh, an album up on the mantle that's just a black, and it's got a bunch of white text on it. And they go, oh, well, what's that? And they guys at Hypnosis sort of go, well, that's sort of the office. You know, We've had it up there forever. Nobody ever wants it. And it was this white text on black background just says, this is an album cover. And the purpose of an album cover is to get you to be more interested in it. Yeah. And it just fills up this whole, like, it fills up, I think, certainly the, the, the front cover. Mm-hmm. And they immediately said, yeah, great, we'll take it. Uh. <laughs> and so like, it was like the office joke. And then they went and bought it. And I think it's become the, a fairly iconic, wow. at least within their, their catalog album. So Hypnosis, I know... They would pitch bands specifically, but they were also a smaller band at the time. Mm-hmm. I would think a band like Led Zeppelin probably came into this with some pretty specific ideas of what they wanted to do, but I don't know. Yeah. So that's a fun poll. All right. Uh, so, Jim, what do you got? Okay. I'm going to go back towards uh, the modern age here a little bit and talk about um, a guy who... I think we, we always need to talk about when we talk about design and, and vinyl these days, uh, and that would be Jack White. Um, I'm choosing uh, Lazaretto, his second uh, album. 
That is also from a couple, co- also couple on years our ago. list. Yeah. Okay. Holy well, smokes. this is great hey, minds good, think good, alike. Great, great minds think alike. So I wanted to, uh, you know, get this list of um, of everything that's on the the Lazaretto pressing, because I think what's really neat with this is not so much all the bells and whistles, but um, Third Man, his record label, has been known for doing, um, you know, tricolor records. Um, really crazy pressings of other stuff, but always limited to a certain amount. Um, the reason why this Lazaretto Ultra, what they call it the, the Lazaretto Ultra LP, is so cool is it's because it's the standard Lazaretto pressing that you can buy in any record store. So anybody who just, you know, if you're an 11-year-old kid and you're a fan of Jack White, um, this is the album that you got. Um, and maybe that starts kids down a path of being interested in vinyl records again. Um, you know, I think that's really cool, but it, it means a lot to me that this record was not some $3,000, you know, high end, you had to, you know, you know, step over your dead grandmother to get it kind of thing. This is just available to everybody. So this is a list of, of the things that were on uh, the, the Lazaretto LP. So there are two vinyl only hidden tracks beneath the center labels. Now, uh, it's not super great to play, uh, to put your stylus down on paper that has to go through uh to to the grooves um so uh that kind of sucks but uh one of the hidden tracks plays at 78 uh revolutions per minute one plays at 45 and the whole rest of the album plays at 33 so this actually is a three speed record which is incredibly rare too that that very rarely happens um side a on lazaretto plays from the inside out rather than the outside in so you put your needle as close to the label as you can for side a and it plays out um, which that that's not like the most other acts have done that. I think Monty Python did it at one point. They also did a locked groove thing, which we'll talk about in a second. But um, that's something you know uh, new to a lot of people who aren't familiar with records that have done that before. Um, the 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 dual like the the locked groove thing. Um, the, the the okay. So the dual groove technology that that I wanted to point out too is that on uh, I think it's side B. Um, it starts off with the track Just One Drink, and depending on where you drop the needle at the beginning of side B, it either plays an electric intro to that song or an acoustic intro for that song. Um, so you'll you know you'll have to like get it exactly queued up to play the version that you that you want to play, but it eventually just goes into the same song. Um, there's a matte finish on side B to kind of give it a look like uh, like it looks like a 78 RPM record. Um, there are locked grooves on both sides. The locked groove is basically meaning um, you know your record when when you put on a vinyl record and it goes to the end of it and you just have the silence. Uh, that is a locked groove uh, at the end because you'll notice that the needle never gets as far as your actual center label. Um, so it's a silent locked groove. This is a locked groove with music on it. So it's just this never-ending soundscape, so to speak, um, within that locked groove. Um, it is... Um, there's a hologram. We're not talking about album covers anymore. No, no. This is, this what, is, what I like. Yeah, what I like we're about getting into the design one okay. that I mentioned. Yeah. What I like about this, it feels like Jack White was. It's like the equivalent of going on like Pit My Ride, and yeah. it was just like exhibit. Yeah. Give me everything that you could do to an album. <laughs> an I want to do. I want to do everything on it yeah. on one yeah. on one LP. Can you make it play right. three speeds? Oh yeah. Oh, we could do that. Can you do a hologram? Oh, we could do a hologram. Can you do? Yeah. Uh, can you do this crazy? Uh, uh, locked groove thing. Sure. That continue- yep, we can do it. Do you can- think Jack White's right. now at a point where he just 
is really regretting the fact that he keeps one ha- he he did this the one time and now he has to keep one upping himself. Yeah. You think if, if <laughs> like like for the next album or whatever release that he just wants to do like on a one of those flexi 45s that you oh, get yeah. sometimes in Mad Magazine yeah, or yeah. something like oh, that. Oh, yeah, back at right. Honeycomb. Yeah, story. yeah, yeah. Where you need yeah, 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 the, yeah. The, the Where's the Captain single yeah. from uh, Rick Derringer. <laughs> uh, where you'd have to put like a, a coin down in the middle of it yeah. so it had enough weight to actually be played. Mm-hmm. You right. think he just wants to do something right. like that now? Like, okay. yeah, that's, yeah, sir, that'll be good. Oh, so I cut you off, Jim. What else were you going to say? Uh, oh, no. I mean, seriously, we'll be here all night talking about all the bells and whistles on this thing. But I mean, that that's a, that's a big list of stuff on and to your point like on one lp this is stuff he could have you know um saved up and done throughout the remainder of his career um so this this you know when you buy it in the store it doesn't look any really different any different than you know any other record out there this is a little bit more about the actual record itself um i felt that uh you know with him being such an icon in vinyl currently that you know it needed to be included um you know and he's got other ones i mean plenty of other stuff that's come out that you know, you mentioned the little Flexi 45s one year for Record Store Day. I believe he he put a bunch of those in balloons uh, and then just let, <laughs> let, him, let him go, let him go. And then people around the country found these. Um, and uh, and then you know, there was like a note like, hey, you know, take a picture and send it to whatever so they could like actually map out where all these Flexies mm-hmm. kind of came into. And, you know, you let out 20 Flexies and it's like. You know how rare is that? It's it's crazy. So he, so, he went and he, did my like my science fair project from fourth grade. Yes, is, you're saying he yeah, did, and, essentially. And, and a lot of and a lot so of that's people, actually the Sri Lanka space program. I think has the same <laughs> same same concept. Same concept. A lot I, of people what? Uh, well, I just I you know I think that um, a lot of people uh, rag on him because um, it's gimmicky to them. It seems like a gimmick. And the thing is, is that I think a gimmick is like the way I think of that would be if somebody desperately wanted you to buy their music um, and was trying to like, you know, think of any relatively creative flash in the pan way to get it to you. And I, and that, that's my definition of, of something being gimmicky. Jack truly, I think has a love for this stuff and wants to see more vinyl out in the world. I mean, he just opened another plant not too long ago in Detroit, um, which will hopefully alleviate some of the backup that's happened at um, United record pressing in uh, Nashville um, which they use quite a bit. Third Man does. Um, I, I love this kind of stuff. I, I can't say that I'm in for all of it. I mean, there's some stuff where, you know, depending on the music or depending on, um, you know, what's actually done with the record, it's kind of like, blah, blah. But um, this specifically, I think, you know, of all the stuff he's done, this is the most remarkable to me because it's the most, like, mass-consumed product on vinyl that he's put out well, it's that the, anybody, it was anybody the, can kind of I think of it's the greatest-selling vinyl release of the sound scan era if i if i remember reading this it, it, yeah that the that it broke right. the record from vitality yeah oddly enough mm-hmm. uh, that was interesting yeah. yes but i you know i, I had a, I had the list here. I, I i this was my choice between the two of michael and i and i just i knew we needed we needed to talk about jack white because yeah as you said i mean i, I think he, i personally think he skirts that sort of border between gimmicky and not gimmicky um, but I think he does it from a position of wanting people to be more interested in vinyl and go out and say, well, if I'm going to get this, you know, vinyl from Jack White, maybe I'll, I'll also pick I'll pick up a couple of other vinyls and get more interested yeah. in it through that. Um, you know, like the 16 Saltine single, which was filled with liquid, which did 
uh, right. start leaking occasionally, which is <laughs> hopefully leaked onto the uh, Led Zeppelin <laughs> cover, yep. and that it could be yep. all set. Um, yep. He re- released a three RPM record, which actually, yep. which uh, that one, okay, that one was a little gimmicky. That that one, I, I I watched a video of him playing it, and I think he had a look on his face that looked a little bit like he was trying to get away with something, just <laughs> just slightly. Um, and then the uh, he had a triple decker record. Which mm-hmm. I, there, there's also a video of him showing this one off, and this one I think he, he I think this is one where I think he legit legitimately thinks this is a coolest shit thing, because it was a larger record that had a I think it was I guess it was a 33, but it only played one song, and then it had a 78 mm-hmm. inside of it where the center groove or where the center would be, and then yeah. you could actually crack open the main album and get a hidden 78 out of that, right. And it's this thing where he's like, when he's showing it off, he's like, well, I guess you need like a screwdriver or a Swiss army knife or something to do this. I'm like, well, maybe you should have put a tool in there. If you're going to ask people <laughs> well, to crack open your album. That's when Ikea releases albums. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. Everything is just done with a little... Uh, just unlock it. Yeah. No, but Jack Jack White, I, I think... Look, he loved, like you said, he loves vinyl. I think it's something that his fans now have... Grown to expect from him, I think if he ever got to the point where he didn't do something like this, it would be seen as a, a huge disappointment. I do wonder mm-hmm. if maybe the first time that something like this happened was just some sort of mistake, mm-hmm. like they accidentally yeah. had some sort of lock groove situation, and yeah. he was just stubborn <laughs> about it. No, I meant to do that. No, no, that was totally like a thing I meant to do, and I'm going to do it he again kinda... on the next album even more, and he's just kind of got right. stuck in it now. Right. He kind of... He kinda, uh... Have you guys seen Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox oh, story? Oh, of course. Uh-huh. Well, it's like I mean, it's like maybe that's there's a part of uh, the Elvis that Jack White played in that movie that's actually kind of Jack White. <laughs> yeah, like you know, hey man, one thing you need to know about me, I'm the king. You know, like, <laughs> right? That sort of thing. Um, you know, I I think there's um, uh, you know, one one thing that I think is really cool. I know we got to get to our next thing, but you know, one thing I like to give him props for is the world's fastest record, which is actually talking about the quickness in which he recorded it and had it pressed, I think a couple of years ago for Record Store Day, he did a, speaking of Elvis, he did an Elvis song for the B-side, but he did a 45 recorded live at Third Man in Nashville. They drove it to um, United Record Press immediately, uh, and they pressed it within three to four hours, and then they brought them all back, and everybody who was hanging out at Third Man could get one. Um, and that's a that's a big rarity, and I think that's a really cool idea for like, you know, the immediacy of it, you know, this, he can record direct to wax in, uh, this store in this, you know, like performance area that they have in the store, the blue room, um, they can go get it done at United, they get it back and it's, you know, relatively quick and, you know, I'm sure a lot of people, I'm sure that took a lot of work, but it seems so quick and easy. Uh, and that's Jack White, obviously, you know, a band, a band touring Nashville and goes, Hey, we want to record today and then have it out to that. It's not going to happen. But, um, I just, I really like that idea too. And, um, I, I feel like it's only gimmicky if you don't like the output, you know, if you really enjoy the music itself, um, you don't find it gimmicky, you find it exciting. So I think, you know, whenever anyone calls it gimmicky, you can kind of tell they're not really a Jack White or a White Stripes fan. Um, and, and I'm not all the time either, but I just really admire his tenacity for this stuff. Jim's oh, I do. Yeah. Oh, oh, boy. Okay. okay. 
Okay, so uh, speaking of liquid-filled, I'm, I'm going to go that route here, and this would be, again, kind of like talking about the vinyl itself, but, um, you know, one that has been super, super hard to come by and talked about in the vinyl communities. It is um, from Waxwork Records, uh, a label that does mainly horror scores. Um, they just did The Babadook, and I think The Thing came out quite a bit. And they, th- those guys have, you know, really, really great packaging. But this is the score for the original Friday the 13th from... Uh, Harry uh, Menfredini. Um, this was created by a album designer named Curtis Godino, who I've been trying to get on the show for a while. I think he'd be a really interesting guy to talk to. He's kind of a, like a visual artist who kind of connected with Waxwork to make something really unique. Um, so it is a blood slash like liquid filled clear LP um, that was supposed to be limited to 100 copies, um, limited actually to 75 because 25 were damaged in the original shipping. Um, there's a story, I got to interview uh, Kevin from from Waxwork uh, a while back, and he mentioned that um, their office is like above some other office. I don't know if it's a doctor's office or something like that. And the, the original 25 that were uh, delivered, that were damaged, think about this, you got a 20, you got a, a heavy box uh, of vinyl. If you guys have carried any more than 10, 12 records at a time, you know that can, vinyl can get really heavy. So it's this heavy box outside a door of a business that looks like there is blood seeping from the bottom <laughs> of this box. And and thankfully, they brought it to Waxwork. We're like, uh, we think this is yours, but what the hell is in yeah. this? You know, sort of thing. I would Im- so only... Se- I was going to say, I would, I, was gonna say I would imagine that the uh, the FedEx driver was like not super happy about that, that <laughs> right, shipment. Right, yeah, ex- exactly. So, um, so, you know, this is really limited to about under 75 copies. Um you know, for them to do a hundred run of this, it, it it is very very hard to get on the secondary market. Um, there's one currently for sale on Discogs for eight hundred dollars. Whoa! Um, the highest it's sold for on Discogs. Uh, this is not eBay, obviously, but at least on Discogs, uh, it's sold for about one thousand and forty. Um, that's the highest this one album has sold for. So I'm going with rarity. I'm going with kind of coolness. I'm going with. Um, the fact that it it garners a lot of money when it is available, um, it's it's probably Waxwork's most popular release, even though it's one of the most limited. Um, if you can find this thing, it is a real real gem, uh, and especially when the lowest it's ever sold for on Discogs is four hundred dollars. <laughs> I mean, you're you're if you are a collector, this is something you will always be be after. Um, and and you know, it's the original Friday the Thirteenth. The, the the cover of it is really cool. Um, there's, you know, there's no Jason on it. It's just like this close up of an eye. Like a, it looks very like a Mondo kind of, you know, um, poster. Uh, it's, it's really awesome. Um, but I think that one would need to be up there. I realized that I haven't really talked about much, uh, previous to like 1994 or something, but, uh, truly these are ones that I think, um, would continue to stand the test of time within like the current vinyl schematic that, uh, uh that we have going today. I, uh. I like this one because there's a logical connection between what the what the functionality of the well what the what the album is and sort of mm-hmm. like design of it. It makes right. sense that the Friday the thirteenth, you know, soundtrack yeah. album would be blood filled. Yes. Yeah. Um right. it doesn't make as much sense when it's to get back to the flaming lips. Yeah. And they do a collaborative right. album <laughs> and they ask yes. Yoko Ono or Keisha to donate some blood to be put into the album. <laughs> Right, that's, right. That to me just feels 
that that feels like again Wayne Coyne trying to mm-hmm. do something artsy for yeah. for artsy's sake. Yeah. That on right. the other hand, the the Friday the Thirteenth re release seems cool because of that. Although I hope they have better packaging than uh, Jack White did for his liquid filled ones again, because that's kind of a messy mistake to make. So right. But no, this this is a really good pick. Well, uh, so so gentlemen, I think we've had each of our four choices and two of them overlapped. And you did state that we have a little bit of a problem, Jim, and I'm going to solve that problem because the the uh, the Borglum bag is uh, something that the host and judge of the Mount Rushmore podcast gets to um, hold on to. And inside that bag, uh, named after the <laughs> Mount Rushmore uh, monument designer, Gutzen Borglum, inside that bag is a choice that I have is my Trump card if i choose to use it that will override any choices that are made by our contestants and then therefore give me a point um and inside that bag oh boy. is from 1966 uh the beatles yesterday and today an american mm-hmm. uh, album released of cutouts from beatles albums that were uh being released overseas and it, the photography on the album was by a gentleman named robert whitaker and Robert Whitaker was sent to photograph these young lads, and he had toured with them. He had seen the, the type of uh, deities they, they were treated with, the adulation that they were treated with, and he wanted to disrupt that identity in the set of photography, uh, in, in this photo shoot that he had planned for them. This photo shoot was never intended to be an album cover, but it did, I think, in, was... I, I think the, in that the Beatles... Paul and John and George and the other one and the other one were interested in (laughs) contemporary art. They were interested in um, um, young in Broadway plays, in novels, in science fiction, and all these different things. Uh, Things that were challenging the status quo. Even though they were presented as the four lovable mop top lads from Liverpool, they were interested in playing with their image. And so, the Beatles yesterday and today was released originally in the United States with a the, what is now known as the Butcher album cover, which is just uh, the four lads holding up uh, chopped up bits of meat and baby doll heads that are severed off and the bodies of the babies that are covered in blood. And so that caused a huge furor, and it is now a very valuable album cover today. If you have one. Uh, you may have it in different states, the state that in which it was uh, pasted over with a more acceptable photo of them just kind of sitting there in their suits. But what I love about it is I love the Beatles, and I know that the Beatles were trapped being the Beatles, and that they had interests that were very much varied and very contemporary. But like the Beach Boys or some other acts, they got kind of trapped in this kind of bubblegum identity and saw this right. as a way to kind of break out of it. But then, boy, howdy, they were chastised. And then... I like this. <laughs> I like this because you mentioned, especially Paul was really into pop art at the time. And this yeah. comes out in 60, 60 said? 66, 65. Yeah. So this is right around the time where suddenly they're going from, you know, like you said, the album covers of just the four of them kind of looking out a door or whatever yeah. it happened to be, to, you know, you get to the from here to the Revolver album cover, then to Sergeant Pepper, yeah. then to even something like the White Album, which in its own way mm-hmm. is very pop art mm-hmm. to just not have yeah. anything on yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is, I, I think this wound up being sort of that first pushback they had, like you said, to their image. And then you can kind of track after that where they took more control over the yeah. packaging and the way yeah. that the, the actual physical albums themselves were released. That's right. I We, we, we didn't mention, by the way, I, I do enjoy... 
album covers. I, I didn't pick any. Jim didn't pick any, or Michael didn't pick any that that are that have things that you can do with them. Oh, like mm-hmm. like the Jethro Tull album cover for Thick as a Brick. Which actually, are you talking about separating the twigs from the seeds of your marijuana? Yes, that's oh, okay. exactly. No, that's the. You can do that with any album cover. That's the, or frisbee. That's the Cheech and Chong <laughs> album it. cover. Um, no, it actually had a new, like an eight-page newspaper in there. Like you would have like wrapped oh. around fish and chips. Oh, cool. With like little like fake BBC uh, channel ads and really mm-hmm. naughty connect the dots. I mentioned XTC. They had one for their No Thugs in Our House EP uh-huh. that was actually like a cardboard cutout. You could cut out like a little stage. Oh, cool. And they had cut cardboard cutouts, all the characters in the song, and you could put on little mm-hmm. kind of puppet show yeah. doing that. I love that idea, too. I, I wish more. I, that's one thing that we don't get anymore with not having these albums is the ability to be, be like playful with that. Yeah. I guess NMB3 yeah. could have a PDF attached to it. Hey, print this. <laughs> <laughs> not quite as exciting, no. I was going to mention Ryan Adams had a, uh, if you're a big Ryan Adams fan, he had a, um, a seven-inch box set of his newest album, Prisoner. So it's the, it's the album Prisoner on side of all the A-sides of these, how many ever, you know, 45s are in there, 12, 13, I forget. Uh, and then there's B-sides for each one, so you get, you know, how many ever, you know, 13 or 14 new Ryan Adams songs. But then the, the, the set is actually a, play, it's like a play set, where you open it up, um, there are cutouts of Ryan and his band, as well as like the stuffed tiger that's always on stage when they play, or the arcade game that's like behind Ryan, or like whatever. So it's like all the you can like <laughs> fold it out. It's basically the the Hollywood sign uh, that says prisoner or whatever, but you fold it out and it's like a stage layout and stuff. And I'm a huge Ryan Adams fan for sure, but I I also already have Prisoner on LP. Am I really going to play or use these 13, you know, 12 13 7 inches, you know, and and whatever, you know, I don't know, but that's to to your point. I mean, um I thought that was a really cool thing too of like, yeah, just the interactivity with stuff. There's plenty man, I mean, there's plenty of records uh a band called Menomina out of Seattle. They had an album called Friend and Foe where you could kind of like spin the, this piece that was inside the record and they had little die cut holes throughout it. So like the more you spun it, like it said a different thing in each one of these holes. I mean, there's plenty of stuff people have done. Um, I really liked your guys' suggestions. I, I think uh, yesterday and today is perfect. Uh, that that was kind of haunting around my list, but I also figured that maybe you guys would touch on it too. Um, the, the lengths that people went to, to, uh, to, to redo that cover. I think that that alone makes it, uh, one necessary for for the Mount Rushmore of album design mm-hmm. because um, you know people still to this day wonder whether they have a true covered up yesterday and today uh, and they try to like take the original cover off to see what's behind it um, or you know you find a you find it in all shapes and sizes the uh, the original yesterday and today to, to you know it could be really water damaged or maybe it's in mint condition or whatever it's always something that people will be hunting for i still think for like the next 50 yeah. years yeah let me ask you this uh, so I, I grew up originally with my parents old vinyl then purchased my own 45s and albums all up through college actually <laughs> uh, buying cassettes along the way and then cds have you spent your whole life with all of those formats or have, did they yes. come along? Okay. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I started out, I mean, quite honestly, the story goes, I, I started out, um, you know, growing up around vinyl in my parents' house as a kid. I mean, they raised me uh, well on, um, you know, Roy Orbison, uh, Creedence Cooler Water Revival, 
the Beach Boys, uh, Patsy Cline, that sort of stuff. Um, I definitely did toy around with their gigantic, uh, you know, one of those big, big wood stereo systems that takes 15 people yeah. to lift and yeah. whatever. That's got little everything on it. Um, you know, there was an 8-track player in there, so I remember playing 8-tracks through there when I was a kid, too. Uh, I, you know, definitely hopped on the CD revolution. Um, always kind of was interested in vinyl, but it really wasn't until, I believe, the Christmas of uh, 2010, you know, so really only like seven, eight years ago, uh, where my wife said, um, you know, you, you're a music lover. You appreciate art. You appreciate the stories behind albums. Um, why not kind of give vinyl a, a try as far as getting into it? And um, lo and behold, that's kind of where we are today. I always loved it. I had seven inches and 10 inches and LPs from, you know, the punk emo bands that I was listening to in the in the 90s and early 2000s. But I just kind of like never really devoted much time to it other than like buying it as a as a novelty that I would listen to a couple times. Uh, and now it's kind of become this this whole other certainly this whole other beast. And, um, you know, I'm really thankful for that. But yeah, I mean, I, I I never shy away from any format. I I I personally this is just me talking. I personally don't really uh, understand or get the the cassette um, renaissance oh, yeah. that we're kind of having now. Hipster, um, hipster yeah, right. I don't, I don't, I don't really get that. Um, but I don't, I don't discredit anybody for having a love for a physical thing that represents your love for something. Like I was watching this Netflix series, new Netflix series. I don't know if you guys have seen called the toys that made us. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Star Wars episode. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So in that star Wars episode, you know, one of the, uh, um, you know, I don't know if he's a professor or something like that. He has this really nice kind of statement about the physical things that represent what we believe in. And, you know, like um, uh, we, we're rep- we, we use iconography in religion to represent uh, beliefs if we have them. We rep- the flag represents a certain amount of freedom or, you know, what the pride we have in our country or something like that. Um, and he was using it to describe toys you know, as in like, hey, this represents, these Star Wars things represent my devotion to this. And it, it truly, I mean, if you take the word toys out of it, every anything he said during that little run about um, the physical manifestation of our love for things could be said about vinyl. Um, I even showed it to a couple friends. I said, you know, this is what you should say to somebody when they ask, well, why vinyl? It's like, well, it f- physically represents your love of something or yeah. memories of something, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's 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 kind of what it's all about. I, I I'm personally waiting for the eight track Renaissance because <laughs> I love I love listening to songs and having it click in the middle of the song because they can't fit enough <laughs> yeah. song into right. one track. Right, that's always a they fade plus it. a plus guys. <laughs> well, I remember they always uh, faded. I forget which which album. I think um, whatever album Ramble On is on from Led Zeppelin, mm-hmm. but specifically they fade out Ramble On like in the middle of the song it's like you know it fades out clicks yeah. and then it kind of like comes back up it's like man i mean you can't you of all the you, choices you, right you, yeah you have all the choices right you're like literally not enjoying the song anymore so it's crazy all right guys so now is the time where i get to uh, evaluate the uh, statements that have been made before the judge and then assign which choices will be etched permanently uh temporarily permanently up onto the mount rushmore of unusual album covers uh, why don't I just start out with the ones that you both chose because they were compelling choices both for each of those. So you'll each get a point for Vitology, Pearl Jam, Lazaretto, Jack White. So congratulations to you both. 
And hey. then, yeah. We're golf clap. <laughs> and now, uh, for the Friday the 13th, trippy ass Harry Manfredo, uh, Harry Manfredino. I don't know him. Album. I don't Not know. related to him at all. Oh, you guys. don't think so? I don't know the guy. You, I'm going to call you you little Harry Manfredino. <laughs> Hey, that's, that's between me and my wife, okay? <laughs> oh, he just pulled out his Manfredino. Oh, my God, put it back. It's too hairy. Um, and so that gets a point, and, of course, you are the recipient, Jim, for that. And Thank I would you. also love to see this in person someday, but I can only uh, right now enjoy your description of it, the gummy song skull from Flaming Lips. So, Jim, you get a point for that. Holy crap. Yeah. So in that, Michael and Richard have to really split these two points and each have one point, and then you have yourself two points. You are clearly the victor, Jim Hankey. Oh, thank you, thank you, That's right. So, folks, whenever you have a vinyl emergency or want to create one, uh, there's this amazing place you can go, vinylemergency.com, to see all the different places out on social media, the Facebook, the Twitter, and Instagram, where Jim uh, shares his love for vinyl and uh, your ability to connect to the podcast uh, where it exists on SoundCloud, Stitcher and Apple iTunes. So, uh, Jim, want to thank you so much for uh, educating yeah, us with your knowledge. Yeah, this is great. This is fantastic. Well, I, I I tried. Thank you so much, guys. I I actually learned quite a bit from you guys as well. This has been really fun, and and uh, thanks so much for having me on. All right, uh, and uh, this has been the Mount Rushmore podcast. I, as always, am Jeff. I'm Richard. I'm Michael. And say bye, bye, Jim. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>